Thank you, bro. <clears throat> yeah, Pastor Stan would totally fire you, Pastor Chase, because we all know Pastor Stan is such a harsh leader and person, right? Yes, my gosh, no. Uh, hey, uh, the other day I was talking to my wife and I said, hey, uh, I want to be a, a better communicator. Like, what are some things that I do um, that I don't know that I do when I'm on a platform? And so I'm totally doing this because apparently we just celebrated 10 years of marriage. And so she seems pretty committed. So I think I can, I can joke back today. She told me, she said, yeah, when you get up there to preach, uh, you always say, what's up, fam? And I'm like, well, yeah, what's wrong with that? She goes, you shouldn't do that. So today... What's up, fam? How's it going? Like, life good? Life, life treating you swell? I mean, it's been a great week. Like I said, uh, Chris and I, this past uh, Friday, we celebrated 10 years of marriage, our anniversary. It was awesome. So much fun. Uh, I can't believe she, uh, she wants to still be married to me. It's, it's amazing. When I proposed, actually, um, I went through this whole, like, spiel of, like, why I love her and everything, you know? And I said, just two years. Just please give me at least two years. And uh, so two years has turned into 10, and I'm hoping for a lifetime more, um, as long as she stays swoon. So am I doing good? She swooned, she says. So uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, loving it. Life is fantastic. So uh, today, like uh, Pastor Chase said, Pastor is uh, in Florida. I hope they enjoy the humidity and the love bugs um, while we enjoy weather getting colder here in Idaho because I love cold weather. If Anybody with me? A couple, a couple Christians in the house. Okay, cool. So uh, I'm loving it. If you like the heat, it's, uh, think about your future. Um, so I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but seriously, uh, I'm loving it. Idaho has been fantastic. We've been here for 10 months now. Can you believe that? 10, 10 months. I moved here in November. That's crazy to me. I, I can't even imagine that. But anyways, I'm getting carried away. This is not in my notes. What am I doing? Stevie, shut up. Um, uh, we're going to continue in the series that Pastor started last week, Changed by the Challenge. Um, today, I'm going to bring a topic to us um, that I find um, that we all kind of face. You know, I, I, I could have gone with like a, hey, the challenge of pride or the challenge of finances or something like that. But I, I want to talk about some like defining moments that happen in our lives, those, those once in a lifetime opportunities or uh, like we're going to learn today, maybe an obedience moment with God. And I want to talk about that challenge in particular today. Again, this isn't something that you're going to face maybe on the daily, um, but finding those things in our life that are actually a big challenge to us, those, those almost once in a lifetime opportunities. Um, so as we get started, I just want to know, uh, anybody ever make plans? Maybe you woke up this morning and you made a plan to come to church or you made a plan for lunch and we got lunch plans. I know everyone has, has plans to go to life group tonight. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, good. So that's about half the church. So can I get an amen? Okay, I'll see you in life group tonight. So um, you, you just committed to it, just by the way, okay? So get life group information in the back. But we, we all make plans. We all plan on doing something or going somewhere, um, whatever it may be. It could be big, it could be small. You made a plan for your career, example, of, hey, like, I want to work this job, um, or you were forced into that job because you couldn't find a different job, so that's just the job you have, and you've had it for 20 years, and you hate it, and that's okay. But you made the plan for that career and you have that career now and, and you're making plans maybe for retirement and what it's gonna look like uh, when you're not working anymore. And if you are retired, you're making plans to go make some more coffee this afternoon and it's fantastic, right? But we all make plans, big or small, and uh, you never know how much that plan might change the direction of your life. I remember uh, growing up and not understanding the world. Anybody been there before? Yes, we all have. And so um, I remember when I was a kid, I, I, wanted, I wanted to be something great. And I wanted to like 
save people's lives and do something amazing with my life. And I decided at the age of three and four that I wanted to be a fire truck when I grew up. Um, I thought, not a fireman, no, 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 no. I want to be the truck, like big wheels, it's got the hoses, it's got the water, and it takes people to go save lives. Like, I, I had no idea, uh, obviously, how the human body worked, that I cannot physically be a truck. Um, I might identify as a truck, but I'm not a truck. And so, <laughs> got that one in, <laughs> and we just got banned from Facebook. Okay, so, um, <laughs> but uh, seriously, like, I, I, I wanted to, to be a truck. I don't know why, and um, thankfully, I grew up, can I get an amen? And um, I realized, oh, I can't be a truck. And so uh, I was like, well, I grew up in the military. Uh, I was an Air Force brat. And so uh, I was really excited about that. And I was like, I want to serve my country. Like, absolutely, 100%. I want to be in the Air Force. I wanted to be a pilot because I'm short. And so I was like, I can do it. Like, <laughs> I'm not smart enough, but if they don't know that, right? And so um, I, that's really what I wanted to do when I grew up. I was like, I'm, I'm dead set on it. I want to join the Air Force. I want to be a pilot. And uh, I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy because I, when I got out of the academy, I wanted to be an officer right away making the big bucks. Um, I did not want to just start at like E1. And I was like, I'd rather start as an officer and that'd be awesome for my pay, right? And so uh, at 15, I think it was, uh, I was living at Beale Air Force Base in Yuba City. Anybody know Yuba City? Yeah. Right? Those people are missing a couple teeth, so take a look for them after service. And uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? And uh, I, I, was, I was excited about, I'm sorry, Bob, I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> But he, he might be missing a tooth. He might be missing a tooth. And anyways, uh, but I, I grew up and, and I was 15 and I was like, I'm going to the Air Force Academy. And like I said, I was living at Beale Air Force Base. Totally ruined my train of thought there. And uh, they, they, the Air Force Academy was doing something for if you were like 15, 16 years old, you're in high school and you hadn't yet decided what you want to do. And they were going to allow you to come to the, to the Air Force Academy and spend like a week there and you would see what life is like and the, at the academy there. And you'd suited and booted and everything. You got the uniform. You'd be going to classes and doing drills and all that kind of stuff. You'd be over, like immersed in it. And so I had this interview right there at Bill Air Force Base. And I'm sitting there and I got my tie on, you know, 15 year old thinking I'm ruling the world. I'm like, this is exciting. So much better than being a fire truck. And um, we had this interview and apparently the questions must've been like really tough uh, because they didn't even like call me back, like nothing. Like I heard nothing, not even something in the snail mail to say, hey, uh, BT Dub, you suck. Uh, have a great day, right? So uh, the Air Force, they were like, we don't want this guy. And so they must have sent my information to the Navy uh, because when I was 17, uh, I kind of flipped it there because the Navy always makes fun of the Air Force. You, you me to get the, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so uh, I was 17 at this time now and um, I'm sitting there at home and I'm working full-time in and out which is definitely gonna be served in heaven. Uh, apparently in Boise too. I don't know if you heard it's coming, but bless the Lord all my soul. And um, I'm, I'm working in and out full time. And so I was sleeping in one day. It was like seven o'clock in the morning. That's definitely way before sleeping in. But anyways, I'm sleeping in. I get, we get a knock on the door and my sister comes running the room. She's like, um, there's a guy from the Navy here to see you. And I'm like, what? Like, what's going on? Like, she's like, did you break the law? Did you do something crazy? Like, is NSA coming next? Like, what happened, Stevie? Like, did you hack something? I wish I was that smart. Um, but uh, I go downstairs and I had longer hair at the time. My hair is all like, you know, crazy and wild. I got morning breath. My eyes, I probably got eye boogers in my eyes. And I'm just like, what in the world's going on? And I'm probably just like in gym shorts. Like I come downstairs without even a shirt on. I don't even care, right? I'm, I'm at home. And so I go to the door and it's a Navy recruiter. He's like, Mr. Nix, nice, solid man, right? And I was just like, yeah? I was more like, yes, right? And uh, uh, he goes, hey, uh, you got a few minutes to talk. I want to talk to you about joining the Navy. And I was like, sure, like, 
I'm totally dressed for the occasion. Like, what are you doing at my house? It's seven, like, no, I'm not exaggerating. It was seven o'clock in the morning. And so this guy's like, can I come in your house? And I'm like, sure, like I'm intimidated. So get in here, man. Like, absolutely, come inside. We sat down at the table and within three minutes, I was like, I'm gonna be in the Navy. I'm gonna be a sailor. It's gonna be awesome. Like I was like dead set. All of a sudden my plans are now fully focused on the Navy. I'm excited about life. And I wanted to fly an F-22 off of one of those awesome cool aircraft carriers and be like, the man, the myth, the legend, the F-22 pilot. That's who I wanted to be. And so the, the next few months of my life, I was like, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Because my dad was like, you're 17. Um, so I'm not going to sign any paperwork. And I'm certainly not going to emancipate you so you can join the Navy. But when you're 18, you can do what you want. And I said, fine, I'm 18. And so uh, on September 29th, I thought of 2006, I thought I have a plan. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to get a donut and a rock star, and I'm going to go to the Navy recruiter's office, and I'm going to put my name on the dotted line. And I was excited about it. However, I had no idea what August of 2006 had in store for me. I had no idea that God was doing something behind the scenes that I was completely unaware of. And so I go to summer camp, um, kind of like uh, summer camp that our students go to with Pastor Chase every summer. Uh, it was teen camp. And so uh, let me just fill you in a little bit. We were in California, and summer camp for us was in Missouri. Um, so summer camp was a thousand dollars a person because we would either fly or drive. I don't know what my youth pastor was thinking. Like that long of a drive with students, crazy. Like not a chance in the world. Um, but it was awesome. Like we all loved it. We had a great time at this summer camp. So we went every year. And uh, so we go to the summer camp. And again, I'm 17. I'm about to turn 18 next month, thinking the entire time I'm joining the Navy. This is what I'm doing with my life. And so. We get to this thing and all throughout the week while we're there at summer camp, all I'm thinking is, I, I think God's telling me he wants me to be a pastor. Like, but I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. Cause just this last Sunday, I was getting yelled at by the pastor for talking during his sermon. Like no joke, pastor Fred was the one that was his name. He was yelling at me during a sermon, Stevie, stop talking. And he's up there preaching. Like I, 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 that's, that's the guy who's preaching this Sunday. You're welcome. Okay. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, there's no way that you want me to do this for living, like, what are you talking, like, go be a pastor? What does that even look like? Like, I'm the bad kid. I'm the one who was just doing this and doing that and messing around over this. And I, 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 there's no way. And so I'm wrestling with this throughout the whole week. And finally, it's a Friday, the end of summer camp. And I walk up to my friend, Chip. He was the camp director. And I was just like, hey man, like, would you just pray with me? I have no idea what to do. I, I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to go to this internship and go to this Bible college and become a pastor one day. But and uh, mentally, in my mind, I was trying to talk myself out of it. I was hoping he was going to be like, yeah, Stevie, maybe you shouldn't, right? I was kind of hoping that's what was going to happen. And uh, he's like, let's pray. I was like, well, well Chip, there's, there's, it's not just I need an answer, but if God wants me to do this, I, I need $1,500 just to sign up today. Like, just to put my name on paper and say, yes, I'm coming in three weeks to Minnesota. Uh, I need $1,500 today. Like I got, they're, they're here. I got, I got to pay them because in three weeks, like the money's already past due. So I need $1,500 right now just to show up in Minnesota in three weeks. And he's like, let's pray. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And the entire time I'm thinking there's no way this is going to happen, but God, I'm appeasing you by praying about it, right? That's what I was thinking. And so I put my hands out like this while we're praying because that's what you do when you pray, right? Lord, right? And Chip starts to pray. And while we're praying this 20, 30 second prayer, people start walking up and handing me money. To the penny, $1,500 by the time we said amen. 20 seconds, 25 seconds, if that. It was a short prayer and I was like, I think God just spoke. I think God is telling me, yes, this is where you're going. 
uh, this is what you're doing. And uh, that, that one event, that one prayer, that miracle prayer changed my life forever. I often think back now, like if I would have gone back home and gone with my own plan and not taken a step of faith to say, God, I'll give you a shot here and I'll pray about this and see what you have. Well, where would I be? I certainly wouldn't have had my beautiful wife. And if I didn't have Kristen, then I wouldn't have Tatum and Riker, who I love with all of my heart. And if you make fun of my kids, I'll punch you. And so I'm just kidding. I won't do that. I'll punch you twice. So um, I, love, I love my kids. And so it's like, I think back to that moment. If I would have followed my own plan, where would I be? I certainly wouldn't be standing here in Idaho today. I would have followed my own plan. I would have followed what I thought was God's will for my life because it was what I wanted to do. Because God gives us the desires of our hearts, right? And so I would have followed my own plan rather than the plan that God has for me. And, and I think this is one of those things that Jesus was talking about uh, the night he was betrayed. In, in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, it says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus himself had to differentiate between his will and the will of the Father. Say, what does God, the Father in heaven, want me to do with either my life or the situation or with the step that I'm about to do? What, what does God want me to do? Jesus himself had to work through this very same thing that we're going to talk about today. Well, whose will am I going to follow? Is it going to be my will or is it going to be his will? And Jesus had to accept that the will of the Father was for him to die on a cross, dead for three days, and rise from the dead, claiming victory and defeat sin and death for all time so that you and I could walk in victory and have life. That's the, the, the will that God had for Jesus. And Jesus is actually praying so hard that night. I've never been in this moment where you're praying so hard that you're sweating blood. This, this is anguish and pain long before the whipping post. Long before the cross, Jesus is praying so hard, his forehead is bleeding from the anguish and the pain and the suffering he must be facing at this moment, knowing God is about to sacrifice me on a cross of Golgotha. Can you imagine that moment for just a moment? What that must have been like for Jesus to work through his will and the will of the Father to navigate that situation? Well, you and I have to do that all the time, navigating God's will and my will. And so I wanted to put today's sermon to a word of, of like, hey, what does it mean? Like, what challenge is it that we're looking at of navigating direction, God's will, my will, making decisions, making plans? Like, what, what, what is really the, the focal point of what I'm trying to get to today? And I want to talk to you today on the challenge of the altar, the challenge of the altar. I'm going to step down here real quick. So live stream, if you've got cameras there. Um, you know, we, it's very easy to, to be in a church nowadays and to look at what we call a stage, or technically we call it a platform so that we don't have to put uh, fire sprinklers underneath it. So it's a platform, if anybody asks, okay. But we look at this and um, it's a stage, it's a platform, and really the only purpose that it has is to know where to look. We come in the room, all the chairs are angled at it. Uh, the, the, the focal point of the room is right here. And so we say, well, let's make it appealing to the eye. At least we got to look at it for an hour and a half. So let's black out the wall. Let's put some cool LED rope lights up because nothing says we're cool like that. And uh, corrugated metal, why not? Let's do it. Like, let's make it look nice. And there's nothing wrong with that. The temple in the Old Testament was covered in gold. So if you got a problem with uh, stage decoration, you got a problem with the Lord. So, um... That's, that's, that's what you do. You just, you just, you want to make it look nice, right? But that's what you do with a stage. That's, that's what you would do with a platform. 
And what happens is naturally, and this is not a knock on anybody, this is not an insult on anybody, but naturally we as humans, we just get focused on what we see and we just go, yeah, there's a stage. And, and we forsake the stage for its intended purpose, which is an altar. We forsake the natural, or we forsake the spiritual for the natural. And again, it's not a, to insult anybody. It's just we're human. It's what we do. When I walk in here, at, when I come into the office on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it doesn't matter what day I come in. And when I look at this, I, it's stage. Hey, what do we need to do this stage? Oh, hey, there's a wire on the stage. That's how we talk. It, it's, it's a stage. And so naturally, it's not to insult anybody. It's not to put anybody down because it is a stage. However, there's a spiritual purpose. It's an altar. And on this stage, it has a significance. Again, we all look at it. The live stream cameras know where to look, right? It's just, this is the attention of where, you're, where your attention needs to be for the next hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes. That, that's the purpose of it. But pro- the problem is that on a stage, week in, week out, on this very platform and, and every stage across the world that meets on for churches, Sundays, Wednesdays, midweek, whenever it is, they promise life. As stage, you promise life. However, on an altar, it takes life. See the difference? Well, I, I, we promised life. Pastor Stan for 29 years has promised life, or sorry, 23 years from this platform has promised life from a platform. And there's, that's awesome. That, that's amazing. That's, it's amazing that he's been here that long and doing that amazing thing. Isn't he doing an amazing job? We have the best pastor in the world, right? So for, for 23 years, he's been preaching from this platform, right? And it's very easy just to get focused on that part of, yes, on a stage, we promised life. However, an altar, it takes life. Very different than a stage. The altar in the Old Testament was a place of sacrifice. You, you bring a goat, a bull, a, a anything, I don't know, and you kill it, and you put it on the altar. That's what the altar was for. It's a place that demands life be given. On a stage, we just promise life. Hey, Jesus loves you, which is awesome. I'm, again, I'm not knocking that. That's what we were supposed to do. However, I wonder if today we can get past just looking at this as a stage and look at it as an altar. A place where, yes, this morning I will promise life because that's who Jesus is. He is the promiser of life. And so from this stage, naturally, yes, I will promise life. However, today I'm gonna ask you to give life. And to do that, I'm gonna go to a very famous portion of scripture that I'm sure most of us already have heard or read about or know, or maybe you're like, uh, never heard it before. Totally cool, I'm gonna break it down so we can all understand as easily as possible. And so to get there, I wanna go to Genesis chapter 22. I'm gonna read 12 verses. You guys got time, 12 verses, is that okay? Okay, here we go, three people, thank you so much. Here it is, I'm gonna read it off the screen. It says this, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, yes, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men and Isaac with him. Next slide, please. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. We will go over there. We will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the knife and the fire. And I read that backwards, whatever. So the two of them walked together. Next slide, please. Isaac spoke to Abraham, my father, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. They came to the place on which God had told him and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Here it is, it's the end of it. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him, Abraham, Abraham, do not stretch out your hand against the boy and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. This is really intense when you stop and thinking about it. It's 12 verses that we read in 25, 30 seconds. But have we stopped to put ourselves in this situation? Let's break this down. And to do that, I need to go 25 years in the past. So 25, or sorry, 38 years in the past, really, because Isaac right now is about 13 years old, right around that range. So Abraham gets a promise. Hey, you will be a father and you will have generations and generations and offspring and people from all over the world. We bless you. You will be a great nation, Abraham. And so Abraham waits 25 years for this promise. Isaac finally shows up on the scene through his wife, Sarah, who should have never been pregnant, but a miracle of God, she gets pregnant, right? And so they've got this baby boy now, Isaac, and Isaac starts to grow up. Isaac about, like I said, at this time, he's probably about 13 years old, roughly right around in there. And Abraham is now told, take that promise that you've been waiting for, that you waited 25 years for, and now another 13 years for, so 38 years in total, that your focus has been on this, you will be a great nation, that you will have a generation after you. And, they, and through that generation, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That, that, that's where we're at. That's what Abraham is thinking. 38 years of a guaranteed promise from God. And God says, now I want you to take that promise and put it on the altar. Take your future, take your legacy, take everything about you and your hopes and your dreams, the plans you have and put it on the altar and sacrifice him to me. That's where Abraham's at right now. That's the struggle that Abraham is now dealing with. So let's break this down. Let's look at what's going on and hopefully find some insight into the mind of Abraham that may help you and I today to overcome the challenge of the altar. The first things that we see here is that it says God tested Abraham, right? You will all have to pass the test. We will all have to pass the test of the sacrifice. And it says that Abraham was tested by God. So if you're wondering, is God testing me? Probably. That's probably exactly what's happening. God tests his people. But the test of the sacrifice is not to find out or for God to find out what's going on in your life. The test of the sacrifice is for you to find out what's going on in your life. I've learned that about God. He knows everything about me already. He knows what I'm elevating as super important in my life. He knows where I'm failing. He knows my sin. He knows my struggles. He knows the good things. He probably laughs at me a whole lot, right? Like, not because I'm funny, because I'm stupid, <laughs> right? God already knows everything. The test of the sacrifice isn't for God to find out, are you serving me? It's for you to see, is God really first in my life? Am I really seeking him first in my life? That's what Abraham was about to learn. Is God really first in my life? Is God really what is most precious and most important to me? Is God first? And I think of Jesus's words in the New Testament. He's sitting there, he's talking with his disciples. He says, look, if you love father or mother or son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. What does that mean? Does Jesus want us to hate our family? No, certainly not. What he's saying is if you love your family so much that they can easily influence you away, then you aren't committed to me. That's what he's saying. If you can be so easily pushed aside from following me because of a family member, then you're really not that committed to me is what he's saying. So are we committed to him? See, I think following Jesus and being committed to him are two separate things. A whole lot of people follow Jesus around from town to town. 
But there's really only 12 people who are really committed to him, who said, yes, I'm all in. And they forsook everything for Jesus. They lost everything for him, right? And, and God is jealous for our attention. He, he, he's not gonna put up with competition for your attention. The book of James tells us that. What Jesus is saying is I, your God, should be first. If you're going to follow me and serve me and be committed to me, I should be first. Let's, let's really think about it. If eternity is forever, what's most important? Eternity. <laughs> and where are you going to spend that eternity? I wanna spend it with Jesus. Amen. That's where I choose to go. It is a free will choice. I, I decide my, my future destiny. I can follow Jesus or I can choose not to. I want to follow him and be committed to him. Marriage is kind of the same way, Amen. right? On the day we got married 10 years ago now, you know, when I said I do at that altar and I put my life down on that altar for my wife and I said, my life is now yours. That she said, my life is now yours. She gave her life to me. That's what you do at an altar, it demands life, right? When I said I do to Kristen, I said I don't to every other female out there, amen. right? My wife says, amen, she'll kill me, okay? Like, if I ended up dead, right. moving on, right? But... <clears throat> following Jesus, the same thing. When I said, I do as the bride of Christ to Jesus, I said, I don't to the world. I chose him. I, I do. Jesus, I will follow you and I give you my life. That's commitment. It's just like marriage. Jesus is asking, am I still that number one in your life? Am, am I still in that place where I am first? Because again, the test of the sacrifice is to find out what is before Jesus in your life. What if you and I place is such a high value that has actually become more important to us than Jesus? I can't answer that question for you, but I think all of us have something that we might have to wrestle with and struggle with in the coming weeks as we, as we take this and prayerfully consider what is before Jesus in my life? Because it's so easy to claim nothing so fast. Oh, nothing's before Jesus. I'm fully committed to him. Let me tell you something, following Jesus and being committed are two separate things. We have got to be committed people to him. You see, for Abraham, this test was to ensure that the promise of God was not more important than the one who made the promise. Who's more important, the promise, what God gave you, or the one who made the promise? The one who made the promise. And that's what this test is for Abraham. My prayer is that we all would face the same type of test, not sacrificing our kids. God will never ask you to do that, so don't think he will, okay? But we should all look at ourselves and say, is Jesus first in my life? And if not, am I willing to sacrifice whatever is? Am I willing to push aside whatever is? You see, a sacrifice must be something of value. A sacrifice must be something of value. Abraham is sitting there and God says, I want you to take your son. Verse two now. I want you to take your son, your, your only son. He just hammers it on more. The one you love. And then he calls him by name and says, Isaac. So there's no confusion here. Take your one and only son, the one you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him to me. It's the only time in the entire Bible other than Jesus that we actually see human sacrifice taking place. And the guards had no idea, the Roman officials had no idea that they were actually sacrificing Jesus. They had not a clue. They just thought they were putting a, a bad guy to death. They had not a clue in the world. But that's what was going on. God will never ask you to do this, so don't think he will. <laughs> But he's sitting there and he's saying, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one you love, take Isaac and sacrifice him on an altar to me. See, a sacrifice must be something of value. It's not a sacrifice if it's nothing of value. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock on us preachers for a second. I think a lot of the times in, in churches nowadays, and I'm not talking specifically here, I'm talking just the church, like as, as I listen to sermons and I hear so many of just like, I call them pat on back sermons, you know, like, oh, but Jesus loves you. It'll be okay. Right? Like I hear that all the time. Actually, I was listening to a, a sermon this week on a podcast. I had to shut it off. It kind of made me mad. Um, and so I'm going to share my anger with you now. Um, but I was listening to this, this person, they were preaching. I don't know if they were a guest speaker or whatever. It was a well-known church. I'm not going to say who it was or anything like that. But I'm listening to this podcast and this, this person, they're, they're sitting there preaching and, and they say, the life you're living is not the life that God has for you. Like he doesn't want you to have pain and struggles and hurts and real things. I was, what? Like, I'm a human being. I'm a surrounded by people and we constantly offend each other. What are you talking about? Like, to be human is to be offended. Like, that, are you talking about that's not the life that God has for Jesus? Where in the Bible does it say that Jesus promises you to have a picnic when you follow him? On the contrary, you actually see people who follow Jesus who lose their lives. Now, let's ask Paul what it was like to follow Jesus. Let's ask Peter what it was like to get crucified upside down, why don't we? I'm sorry, but an easy life in Christ is never promised. A free life is, Amen. but an easy life? No, 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 I'm sorry. You, you, you see, some people are sitting there going, well, yeah, I became a Christian and you know, everyone told me it'd be great and awesome, but I feel like the world's coming against me. Yeah, that's pretty much what it's like. 100% of the time, exactly. You now, as a follower of Jesus, as a committed person to Jesus, you now have Satan and all his cohort coming against you. Right. Yeah, you should feel a struggle. You should feel a fight, 100%. You are not going to follow Jesus and just have a picnic. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. Tuna sandwich, please. No, I'm sorry, not happening. No, following Jesus is a tough and a difficult road. I like what Alice Cooper said when he was back before he was a Christian and a rock star crazy guy. He said, anybody can crash a hotel. Anybody can go out and do drugs. But to follow Jesus, that's actually really hard. It's really challenging. Because now all of a sudden the struggle in your life is real and intense but you have the grace of God on your side to back you up. So an easy life, never promised. A pat on your back sermon, sorry, it's not gonna happen here. Sundays, really what we're coming and doing is we're coming together and we're making battle plans for the week. That's really what Sundays are for. How to live in this world with hurt, with pain, and get through it because I have the grace and the strength of God on my side. That's what Christianity is. Easy life, no, sorry, it's not gonna happen. A free life, absolutely. I have experienced freedom like never before following Jesus. I've also experienced some real suffering, some real pain. I've experienced some hard times. Let's look at our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now. They are experiencing real and hard times right now. Sorry, Jesus doesn't promise an easy life. So I want to kick that right out of our minds right now. There is never an easy life that will be promised through Jesus. This is not in my notes. It's just a little side note for you, right? But I, 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 I'm looking at this and I, I wanna glean from it today. I wanna glean from Abraham. I wanna, I wanna learn from Isaac of what it's like to really pass the test of the sacrifice, to face the challenge of the altar and to overcome, to say, you know what, Jesus, I really am going to follow you. I really am gonna go after you with all that I am, all that I have, all that I own, my entire family. Jesus, I'm giving it all to you is really what we're looking at today. And so Abraham is told by God, take your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac, and take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there to me. And what happens is you don't see Abraham waiting. It says early the next morning, 
Abraham got up. Let me tell you right now, delaying obedience is disobedience. Delaying obedience is disobedience. Let, let me use this uh, little analogy and hopefully it makes sense. Uh, growing up, uh, when I got my license, I was, you know, 16 in California. And uh, we would always go to this place because I lived up in, in Yuba City area. We'd always go to Camp Far West Lake. Anybody been there? Yes. Okay. There's some real Christians in here. Okay. So um, I'm just kidding. Uh, we go to Camp Fort West Lake and there's this uh, little cove area and it's just this beautiful cliff. And I say that because I love cliff jumping for one. If you, if you know any good places, please holler at your boy. And uh, it's this cliff that literally goes up from like the water level all the way up. It just slants perfectly, like amazing, all the way up to about 80 feet. How do I know it's 80 feet? We took a 60 foot rope, we threw it down and there's about 20 feet left. Okay, so we call it the 80 footer is what we decided all the time. So one day we woke up and I looked at my friend, Eric. I looked at my brother, Shane, and I was just like, today's the day. We're doing the 80 footer. This is it guys. And so we get in my, my car. It was a generation one eclipse because I thought I was Paul Walker from Fashion and the Furious. And we drive over to Camp Far West Lake and uh, we get there, we park the car, we get out and we are like determined. We are dead set. Like we are walking like a bomb could have gone off behind us and we would just been like, we, we would have walked in slow motion too. Um, but anyway, so we're, we're excited and we're like, we're gonna do this thing. And so we get up to this, this little cliff and we thought, hey, we should probably warm up. Let's like hit the 20 footer, hit the 30, hit the 40, you know, and we work our way up the cliff. And we're like, no, no, I'm a man. I'm 16 years old. I'm jumping off the big one. And so right away, we just hike our way up to the 80 footer and we get up there and I look over the edge, all confident. And I start to think, ow. Like, there's a rock right there though. Like we're trying to like talk ourselves out of it. There's a rock that's totally not even in the way, right? There's a rock like right there. And the other side of the cavern, there's a tree over there. Guys, what if I jump too far? Like we are thinking of everything we can to not jump off the 80 foot cliff, right? We are like, no, it's not happening. Like there's, there's a rock there, there's a branch there. What if there's like a submarine that I don't see and like the Russians are here and they're gonna attack us? Like what happened? Like we are thinking of anything we can, right? And so finally I was like, Two hours, no joke. I step back and I'm like, I got this, I got this, I got this. And I go to run and I go, and I was like, what if I slip? I could have slipped right there, right? But I was like, what if I slip? And man, then I'm gonna tumble and then really hit my head and this is not gonna be good. My mom's gonna be all sad. And I was like, okay guys, we can't do this. So we're sitting there. I would say easily three hours went by, easy, right? And uh, then we see this speedboat come, come in and I was like, what are these guys doing? Now we can't jump, right? Like, I was just getting ready to jump and there was a speedboat in the way, right? And uh, this guy gets out of the speedboat and he, he hikes his way up the hill. And this is literally what he does. I, I was heartbroken as a man. He walks up and goes, and just does a frontward backflip, which is called a gainer, right? And I'm like, this is 80 feet. The man just did a gainer. I was like, everyone take a knee. And I was like, this guy deserves our respect. He is the goat of cliff jumping. He is the king of cliff jumping owe him your respect, right? Like, so we were like, what in the world is this? And so finally, after about probably another 45 minutes, we mustered up the courage. We jumped one time, got in the car and left. Like, I didn't even like want to swim after that. I was just like, I did it. And it was terrible. And I don't think I ever did it again after that, actually. But, <laughs> but we, we did overcome, but it was the delay. It was the talking ourselves out of it for so long that when we finally did it, it was just like, oh, well, yeah, it kind of hurt when I hit the water, but it's totally worth the free fall. Like that was awesome. You're in the air forever. It feels like you're flying, but you're sinking. Like it's amazing, right? And we totally talked ourselves out of it for three hours, easy. When, when we could have just got up there and just jumped like, a, like that one guy who just did backflips for days because he's awesome, right? 
And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to ourselves now, and I'm going, how often does God say jump, and I talk myself out of it? And I delay, and I wait, and I think about it, and I say, God, but what happens if I get hurt? What happens if, if I do this, and it doesn't work the way you want it to work? Almost like I'm trying to talk God out of his will. I'm sorry, but am I going to follow my will, or am I going to follow God's will for my life? We should be willing to take the step, take the leap of faith, and trust that his hand is there to provide. His hand is there to watch, to guide, to protect, that he will be there. And even if his protection means, like Peter being crucified upside down, that I'm still protected by his grace. It may not look like it physically, but I'm still protected by him. Eternally, I'm protected. And so my question in this moment is, don't don't, don't question God and, and delay on obeying him. Just trust him. Take the leap. You, you've, been, you've been wrestling around with it. Stop talking yourself out of it. You're just delaying disobedience, which is disobedience. Step in in obedience. Step out and take the, take the leap today and say, God, I'm gonna trust you with this. And I'm gonna give this to you and I'm gonna say, have your way. And run up and jump off that 80 footer and see what God would do. See how God would move on your life and and move on someone else's life and how someone else might be affected because you took a leap of faith. I'm so glad that generations before us have taken a leap of faith with the gospel so that today, 2,000 years after Jesus, we can still say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus because of what our generations before us have done. I'm so thankful they took the leap of faith. Now it's our turn to pave the way for the next generation. Say, yes, we will be a generation of people who takes the leap of faith. And I'm not talking about a generation as in like anybody who's younger than 20 years old. No, a generation, literal definition, means anybody who's alive at one period of time. So we are a generation, every single one of us, the youngest person and the most advanced person in this room, we are all one generation right now. And we are, we are to pave the way for those coming after us. So I don't wanna delay when God speaks, I want to obey him and follow through with what he has for me and follow through with what he has for you. And so we look at this story with Abraham. We look at this story with Isaac. Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him on an altar to me. I think it's really easy to to read this scripture and not put ourselves in the situation. For 38 years, you've had a promise that God is going to bless you and make you a great nation. And through you, all the nations and families of the earth will be blessed. Wouldn't that be a great promise to receive from God one day? That'd be amazing, right? And so let's pretend, let's pretend you're Abraham for just one second. You get this promise. And after 25 years, boom, you got a kid. Oh, my wife is like a hundred years old and she just had a baby. And here he is, this, this is amazing. And so, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, uh, this is, I'm gonna protect him. This is my legacy. This is what you would do. In, in the Old Testament, your firstborn was the heir of your kingdom, of the heir of everything that you own. And so what are you gonna do? You're gonna carry extra band-aids. You're gonna make sure that your future is safe. You're gonna protect a little Isaac. You're gonna keep little Isaac safe. You're gonna put him in the best school. You're gonna put him with the best friends. You're gonna put him with the best people in the best church, in the best synagogue. You're, you're gonna put him in the best place because he's your future. He, he's your legacy. He is the promise of God literally walking in front of you. And so for 13 years, you were just protecting Isaac, keeping everything away protecting this little boy. And then all of a sudden, God wakes you up and says, hey, I want you to kill him. What? He's 13 years old. Why would I kill him? He's, he's my heir. He's, he's the one who through me, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Remember that promise you made me, God? And you want me to now kill him? You, you want me to, to sacrifice him to you? I, I thought you were a God of love and mercy. 
I thought you were a good God who loves his people and, and loves to see generations. And so God, if I do this, none of the nations or the families of the world will be blessed. If I do this, I will not have uh, you know, generations after me that outnumber the sands on the sea and, and outnumber the stars in the sky. God, if I do this, the promise you promised me is now null and void. Well, why would I do this? But it doesn't say that Abraham argued anything. It says early the next morning, he got up. And he arose. And, and I know what Abraham is going through in this moment. I, well, not I know, but I can sense this is that he's looking at Sarah sleeping right next to him. And he gets up to leave. And in the next chapter, Sarah dies in, in Genesis chapter 23. So Abraham knows Sarah can't have another kid. So if I do this, like Sarah's gone, Isaac is gone. Now it's just me. Um, and he, the book of Hebrews actually tells us what is going on in the mind of Abraham. It says that he trusted God that he was able to raise Isaac from the dead. And so he's just like, God, if, you, if I do this, then you're going to have to raise him from the dead. And I'm just going to have to trust you with this and put it in your hands. Isn't it so easy, so easy for us to say that? Like Abraham just had to trust God that he was going to raise him from the dead. Has anybody ever in this room ever seen someone raised from the dead? Let's, let's pause and think. There was no defibrillator back then. Okay. And I'm sorry, but a knife wound to the, to the throat is a knife wound to the throat. There's only one outcome, okay? And so Abraham knows he's gonna die. And God, somehow, some way, you're gonna have to raise him physically from the dead. It says they traveled for three days. We'll talk about that in a minute because there's no coincidence. You can't talk about Abraham without talking about Jesus. You just can't. And so for three days they travel. And so for three days, Isaac is a dead man walking. Abraham's already made up his mind. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to sacrifice my son on an altar. And so they show up to the mountain and they say, hey, you two servant boys, you guys stay here. Me and Isaac are gonna go up. We're gonna worship and come back. And so he actually puts the wood on Isaac, just how Jesus carried his cross. And he puts the wood on Isaac and says, okay, let's go. In his hand, he's got the knife, he's got the fire. And they start walking up this, this hike, up this mountain. And they get up there. And again, I'm trying to put you in the scene here now. They get up there and they start putting the altar together. And Isaac's like, dad, we've got a way to start fire. We, we've got the wood for a fire. You've got the knife. Where's the lamb? We're supposed to go to a worship service and we're supposed to worship to God and make a sacrifice to him. But there's nothing to sacrifice, dad. Can, can, you, can you imagine the emotion that Abraham might be feeling in this moment now? Knowing the answer is you, kid. Like, you're the sacrifice. And Abraham just, from his heart of faith, he just says, God will provide God, God, if God wants us to do this, then God's gonna have to make a way for us to do this because son, I don't know how we're gonna have a sacrifice because right now it's you. And we get to this moment and they put the altar together and the wood and I can almost see Abraham holding the rope. And as a parent, I want you to think of your kid right now. I want to imagine you holding a rope, holding a knife and turning towards your kid. Yeah, you can't imagine it. As a dad, it literally makes my stomach curl. No, no way, no way. Not a chance in the world. No, no way, not happening. And Abraham turns and he looks at his boy. And Isaac probably asked again, dad, still uh, the God who provides isn't providing anything right now. And I don't know if Abraham ran at him. I don't know if he just casually walked over to him and try to make it as painless as possible and just put his arm around him to overpower him. But I do know this is that a sacrifice never willingly jumps on the altar, especially a 13-year-old boy. I guarantee you there's an argument. 
I guarantee you there's a wrestling match that took place. Why? It's the test of sacrifice. He's got the challenge of the altar in front of him. You think his son is going to say, yeah, dad, here, let me help you. Put the rope around my hands first so that I can't fight. And then hog tie him to my, to my feet because then I can't do anything. That'll help you, dad, right? And then you can just kill me on the altar. I'm sorry, but no 13-year-old boy is going to willingly do that. I don't care how much you say, this is God's will. No. I was a youth pastor for years. No. <laughs> it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. And, and I, I put ourselves in a situation for just a minute that Abraham has got to grab his son and put him down in the dirt. He's probably got to put his knee in his back and he's got to hold him down. And he's got to start tying him up as fast as he can. Tears have got to be gushing from this dad's face. And all the while, Isaac is sitting there breathing in the dirt of the ground saying, dad, what are you doing? Dad, stop. Dad, what's going on in Abraham? In his mind, he's just sitting there thinking, this is the promise. This is my legacy. This is my life. What am I doing? I don't think Abraham was just mentally prepared for this. That he has to sacrifice his son and tie him down because his son's going to run off the altar. Again, no sacrifice willingly jumps on the altar. And so he's holding his son down. He gets him tied up, tears probably in both their faces. He picks his son up. He's saying, dad, stop, dad, please. Puts him on the altar. And without a second's hesitation, he knows he's got to do it fast. He pulls the knife out and he goes to stab his son. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, stop. I'm sorry, this is not an everyday church occurrence. This is not something that Abraham has ever faced before. To think that Isaac just willingly did this is preposterous. That Isaac would willingly give his dad his life? No. Isaac has heard this promise for 13 years. Put yourself in Isaac's shoes now. For 13 years, he's been told, you are the kid of promise. And because of you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Because of you and the lineage that comes from you, a savior is going to come one day who's going to save us all. You think Isaac would just say, yeah, cool, sounds good, sacrifice me. No, this kid is confused. This kid is conflicted. And I'm sure Abraham is in the same boat with him. Why, God? Why do I need to face this moment? Why do I have to put my son on this altar? And just before he's about to stab him, angel of the Lord says, stop, now I know that you fear God. And Abraham is there probably heartbroken, tears still bursting out of his eyes and he looks over and he sees a lamb caught in a bush and from this heart of emotion his heart of pain he cries out Jehovah Jireh the Lord who provides you see no one had ever known God the father as Jehovah Jireh before no one had ever known that he's the God who provides he's the one who makes a way when there seems to be no way he's Jehovah Jireh See, it was, it was in a moment of vulnerability that Abraham was allowed to have a revelation of who God is. It was in a moment of saying, yes, God, you are first in my life and I'll prove it. And it was in that moment that Abraham saw a facet of God's face that no one had ever seen before. That's the kind of relationship that I want to have with my Savior. That something that was previously hidden has now been made known to me that I get a revelation more of who God is. That's the life and the relationship that I want to have with him. Isn't it the life and the relationship that you want to have with him? That you learn something about God that no one has ever known before? It comes from a moment of vulnerability. It comes from the challenge of the altar, of laying your life down, laying your future down, giving up everything and saying, Jesus, my life is yours. It's in that vulnerability that we learn who he is. 
that a relationship is formed. You see, when I married my wife 10 years ago, I didn't marry her so that she could just cook and do the dishes and do my laundry. I didn't marry her for what she could do for me. I married her for who she is because I'm absolutely in love with this woman. And I was like, man, I want to, on this altar, I want to give my life to you completely. I am, Chris and I am yours. And in turn, she said, I am yours and I give my life to you completely. That's, that's marriage. That's what you do. I want the same thing with God that I would lay my life down and say, God, I'm giving you completely all of me, not for what you can do for me, but for who you are. So that I would know you intimately, closely, and have that type of a revelation of who you are in my life. That's what I want. You see, when I got saved April 1st, 2005, I didn't get saved because I was like, man, I want to go to heaven one day. I got saved because I felt a love and a power in me that was more real than my own hands. And I said, that's what I'm giving my life to. It wasn't, yes, heaven's going to be great and we should keep our focus on the eternal 100%. But however, I did not follow God just to get a free ticket to heaven. I followed him because I want to know him. That the God of the universe who created all 7 billion of us alive right now, he, he wants to know me? Well, then in turn, I want to know him. And I want to beat the challenge of the altar because I want a revelation of who he is in my life. I want his light in me. I want his heart in me. I want his life in me. I want his grace on me. I want his power in me. I want his anointing around me. I want him. We should all be in that place where we say, God, I need and want more of you. And it comes to the challenge of the altar of really putting ourselves down to let him live in us. Sadly, so many, so many choose what God offers rather than who he is. He makes a promise and we say, oh, this is going to be great. And we see, we receive this promise or this direction or the will of God for our lives. We get excited and we're like, this is what I'm going to do. And we start working hard at it. And we should. The only problem is that we leave God back where he left the promise. And we're going about life and we're doing it and saying, yeah, I'm accomplishing great things. I'm reaching my goals and great things are happening in my life. I got married. I got some kids. They're following Jesus. He's the focal point of our life. This is awesome, right? But I, I, I left him Back here when I was 17, when he made a promise that I'd be a pastor one day. But no, no, I, I need to go back to that moment and say, hold on, hold on. You're more important than the promise. You're, you're more important than what, what it is that you gave me. Because if I don't have you, then what's the point of the promise? And that's what Abraham was at. What's the point of having this great God, or, or, or having this great promise if I don't have God? I need him. The one who made the promise is more important than the promise itself. And Abraham learned that by defeating the challenge of the altar. And I'm asking you, what's the wrestling match that you have with Isaac that you need to overcome, that you need to fight through, that you need to battle through? Yes, it will be hard. That's the point of a challenge. But we all have an altar that we need to run to. It's in our hearts. I, I can't sacrifice it for you. Notice Abraham was not asked by God to let one of his servants do it. Abraham had to do it because it's him. He's the one who received the promise. So what has God promised you? What, he's, what God is asking is, would you give that promise back to me? Not so that I can take it from you, but so that I can be the one in charge of it. So that I can run this with you and you can use my grace rather than you trying to do it on your own. Isaac wouldn't have done anything if it not for the grace of God. Isaac would never have been a great nation. Isaac would never had Jacob and all his sons and all these things if not for God. And if not for Abraham, putting God in the proper place of his life. Saying, God, you're first. 
No matter what, no matter what anybody says, no matter what goes on, Jesus, you are first. And I think Jesus is probably asking us, because I know he's asking me right now, is do you love me or do you love my stuff more? What a shame to spend an entire life with someone only to love their stuff. I don't want to love Jesus just because of what he offers. Peace, joy, satisfaction, all of that, absolutely, we need it and it is amazing. However, there's a promiser who is bigger. And he's called us into relationship that we would know him. And again, the only way to get in this place of knowledge of who he is is to face the challenge of the altar and to give him your life. So like I said, you have an altar that's in your life. I'm not gonna ask anybody to come forward to this altar today. You can do this right, right in the convenience of your own prayer closet right there in your seat, watching online. You can do this right now. And say, God, what's, what's first here and what do I need to put on the altar? Not put on a stage. What do I need to put on an altar and give to you? See, I, I think it's really easy, like I said earlier, the, the pat me on the back sermons to be like, God, take my pain, take my hurt. I, I, you hear that in, in churches all across the world every single Sunday, that God wants to take your hurt, God wants to take your pain, does he? Yeah, but he also wants to take your plans and your dreams. And he wants to say, would you just put it in my hand and, and trust me with it? Because I promise you what I can do is a lot better than what you can do. Amen. He has a plan, he has a purpose for you. He just doesn't want you to be in charge of it. He is king. He is Lord. And he wants you to say, Jesus, I'm giving this back to you. I'm gonna let you run with it. Use me, give me your grace. Tell me what to do. And I will not delay in my obedience. Instead, I will obey you when I hear you speak. I'll go after what you have for me. I'm gonna follow you, not for what you offer me, what you give me, but I'm gonna follow you for who you are. And I'm gonna love you. And I'm gonna give my life to you. We all need to face the altar and give our lives to him. Again, it's really easy to say, Yes, I, I follow Jesus completely. Yes, it's really easy to say. It's a total another thing to live that out. Say, Jesus, yes, my life really is yours. Galatians chapter two, verse 20 really puts it in perspective for us. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. I mean, I've put it on the altar and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life that I live in this flesh by trusting the son of God, I love, or sorry, <laughs> this, this life I live in this earthly body, I live for the glory of the son of God. I wanna be crucified and I wanna allow him to live through me. That's the challenge of the altar. Would you allow him to live through you? Give him it all, give him plans, give him dreams, give him desires, give him his promise and say, Jesus, it's yours, be in charge of it. That's up to you to do, I can't do that for you, just like Abraham. But if we could, can we get every eye bowed or head bowed and every eye closed across this room? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand in this moment for this question, but if that's you, then you know what to do. Say, God, I got something I need to bring to the altar today. God, I have something that I need to place at your feet and I need it sacrificed because I'm gonna trust you with it more than I trust me. And I'm not talking about pains and hurts right now. I'm not talking about past struggles or offenses. I'm talking about the plans that you have, the dreams that you have, the, the goals that you have. I'm asking you, would you give those back to God today? and trust him with it. And that's up to you to answer and that's up to you to do. No one can do it for you. But this next question, I do wanna see hands raised. It's why I do what I do. But if you're in this room and you say, or you're watching online, you say, you know what? I've, I've never given my life to Jesus. I don't know what it means to give my life to him, but I want to. I, I wanna be forgiven of my wrongs and my sins. And if that's you, would you do me a favor and raise your hand real quick, please? Anybody in this room? Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Thank you for that hand. That's awesome. 
Anybody else? One last second. Awesome. We're going to do this as a family here at CLC. If I could have everyone just repeat this prayer after me, say, Father Father in heaven, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to wash me clean in the blood of Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to live my life for you. So Jesus, I declare that you are the Son of God and you are the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give a round of applause for those people, please? That is like the best thing in the world. Absolutely love it. I went late and I am so terribly sorry that I went a few minutes extra, but hopefully it's meaningful and it, it does something for every single one of us in this room. I know this, for me personally, I'm challenging myself in this. So uh, hopefully it's okay. Uh, we love you guys. We will see you tonight in a life group at six o'clock. Check back there, find a life group for you to join tonight. And we'll also see you on Wednesday at seven o'clock. God bless you. Have an amazing rest of your Sunday. Peace out.